Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications. There we are. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show, the only online talk show with an unlisted telephone number, <laughs> which is why, <laughs> which is why I give it up. I got to give credit. You know, back in my early days when I first got started on radio, some of you will remember the caller Gus. Now, you either loved him or you hated him. I actually really enjoyed his phone calls and. He's still out there. Once in a while, I'll see something pop up on Facebook about him and that kind of thing. And I certainly hope he's doing well. I know he had some health issues pop up a little while ago. So, Gus, if you're out there, all the best to you, buddy. I certainly hope you're feeling better. Anyway, he won, one time, right in the earliest days, he called me and he said, he called and he sang me this little ditty and it went, um, I can't remember exactly how it went, but at the only talk show the online radio talk show with an unlisted telephone number. <laughs> so I got to give him credit. I got to start. Uh, talk about a throwback. I hadn't thought of that, and I was getting ready for tonight's show, and it said, say something about the show when I was setting up Facebook Live. Um, so I <laughs> I thought, you're funny how your mind works, and all of a sudden that saying popped in my head. And I went, yeah, yeah, that works. Now, because they're unpublished, I will tell you what they are. Just because I'm a nice guy, and I like talking to people in a one-on-one -on -one basis. So, the phone numbers, of course, to reach us here in the bunker <laughs> are 343-700-4390. You can also use 844-562-4766. If, if you are on... Um, uh, Come on. If you're on Facebook Live, you can make comments, and I'm watching them pop up here. Uh, so somebody wants to know how do you call in, you use those numbers. 343-700-4390 is one number you can use, or 844-562-4760. You know, just next time I, I make comments uh, before the show starts, I'll probably, the best idea to do would be to, for me to put the um, phone numbers right there. So for those of you on Facebook Live, if you want to do more than just make a little comment, uh, on, on Facebook Live. You can certainly give me a call and we can discuss whatever your heart desires. Remember, this show is as much your show as it is mine because well, you, without you, I'm talking to a Coke can. Although there are some people out there I sometimes wonder. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Anyway, on the show tonight, we've got some pretty serious stuff. We've got some um, uh, all kinds of things. Let me start here, though. First of all, uh, Donald Trump has pulled the United States out of um, the Paris Accord. And when I heard that, it's a good thing I was driving because I would have jumped for joy. Finally, finally, a world leader is taking action to go buck the trend against this nonsense we call man-made global warming. My dad used to tell me, says, look, if you're going with the flow, don't ever go with the flow. Because the only thing that goes with the flow are dead fish. And you know what? <laughs> He's right. Like, if everybody's doing something, and another way he would phrase it is, look, if everybody's doing something, it's, go it's probably the wrong thing to do. 
You know, like, well, why not? Everybody else is doing it. Well, let's see. Playing chicken on a dark road with my car at 3 a.m. is probably not a good idea. I don't care how many other people do it. Now, I never did do that, but that's the kind of analogy he would use, right? So anyway, the fact that Donald Trump has said, no, we're done. We're not playing this game. I am not going to put my country in that kind of a hole. I am not going to I'm not going I'm just not playing that game. I don't believe in this stuff. And he stood up and you can tell that he's on the right track because three quarters of the planet went bananas. Now, I have a young lady uh who's with us from um she's a workaway student. Uh some of you have heard me talk about them before. Um Yes, George from Iron Pryor. You know, I should look up his blog. Somebody just mentioned they they really like uh, George from Iron Pryor. I should look up his blog one of these days and see what he's up to. Anyway, I'm being distracted by you folks. Um, but anyway, the point is that um, she comes from a, a French territory in the Pacific near the island of Madagascar. I believe the island is called Rains. I'm not sure. I'd have to, I'd have to ask her. Um, but she's a very nice lady called Cecile. Uh, she's a 24, I guess. And a very, very bright young lady. It's a pleasure to have her. She's got a great work ethic. I mean, we just really are enjoying her her time with us. Just like the last one, Lucille from from France. She was from near Amiens. And it's a lot of fun to have them. These these kids have turned out to be really, really, uh, you know, working out well for us. But anyway, the point is that uh, we got talking about this. Imagine me talking about global warming. Could you believe it? And I, when we were talking about... This whole thing, when um, Trump pulled out, I went, oh, thank God, somebody with some sense. And she looked at me and said, sense? I said, yeah. You know, he's he's doing the right thing. Oh. And we had a discussion. She was completely convinced that global warming is our fault. She's, And I'm not faulting her for this. It's just the indoctrination people get when they get into, when they get into um, school Right from the very beginning, you take any school textbook out of grade school or high school you want to, and this whole environmentalist religion, cult if you want, is woven through everything they do. Like, if you're, if you're my age, you remember going to school, and was Farmer Brown had a load of uh, lumber, and he took it to market, and his cost, you know, he had so many... In other words, there was a simple formula, and then it changed. It says, well, uh, you know, if Farmer Brown takes that load... Uh, cost him a thousand dollars. He sold for fifteen hundred. His profit on it was five hundred dollars. How much did he pay in tax, and how much should he have paid in tax for the environmental fees for cutting down trees without their permission, or some? It, it morphed into this whole thing where you now have environmentalism woven into everything these kids do. So it's not surprising you have a problem trying to explain to them why. And how, why they're being, you know, the fact they're being lied to and how profound, how absolutely profound the lie is. Like, I really have sh- uh, shook her worldview. When I started, to, I showed her Bill Whittle. And if you know Bill Whittle at all, uh, what was he? He was going after uh, um, the science guy, Bill Nye. Okay, and it starts out with him doing that whole transgender dance, how that fit into science, I have no idea. But anyway, and just it was embarrassing to watch. And then he took him apart on global warming. And the look on this young lady's face, she said, well, where did he, he get all these facts? And I said, they're out there. You just have to go and look for them. Because it never occurred to her that there was anywhere, any any other 
attitude. You know, she thought every scientist agreed with this. And it's all that pap they get fed in school. It's not her fault. She has no control over the curriculum. But slowly, I think I'm beginning to make a dent in what it is, how she views that aspect of the world. There's lots of other stuff we don't agree on, and that's fine, you know, uh, in relationship stuff and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to get into that. But the bottom line is there's plenty we don't agree on. But on this score at least, when I present the facts to her, all of a sudden she's sitting back scratching her head going, wait a minute, something's wrong. And she's not sure yet what it is, but give me another three weeks and I'll have her figured out. She'll have it figured out. (laughs) All right, so that... When it comes to Donald Trump pulling it out, I was just ecstatic, and you can tell, okay, because everybody has, and now because Donald Trump is pulled, has pulled the United States out, you've got all the left-wing mayors and all the left-wing politicians and governors uh, in the state saying, oh, you don't speak for us. Well, yeah, you know what, as embarrassing as it might be, to you at least, when you have a national leader at an international conference, and he stands up and speaks, he, in fact, is speaking for you. That's why part of the reason why you should be very careful about who you hand those reins to. We have the same problem up here in Canada. We have an... Yeah, okay, he's an idiot. Um, Our prime minister, and I I hate to say that because I don't want to disrespect the office, but what other conclusion can you come to? This guy, uh, the boy king, is just... There's nothing there. He's just such a shallow uh, thinker. So he says that because Canada, you know, uh, uh, the Americans pulled out, we're going to double down. We're going to do even more instead of coming to the realization that without the United States, the Paris Accord is dead. That's the logical conclusion, but he's not interested in logic. He's not interested in that at all. And you know what else? Speaking of Trudeau, um, he just has anybody out there yet heard that he's um, said anything about the death of the Canadian over in, in England during the Paris during the uh, um, terrorist attack over there? Nothing. There's been nothing. We lost a Canadian to a terrorist attack, and all he can do is talk about when things go into dark places. Like, he won't admit he'll never say. He'd rather chew chew ground glass than admit that Islamic terrorism is real and it's a threat and we need to deal with it. We have a case. There's a story. Let me dig it up here. Out of uh, Toronto, Scarborough, at a Canadian tire. Uh, I've got it here somewhere. Tori, no, I'll get to that in a minute. Doom, doom. After Trump, it's time to start up the green piece. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, I had it. Anyway, the story is that this... Oh, here it is from the Toronto Sun. Okay. Let me share a little bit of this with you. Uh, Toronto. A Scarborough woman swore allegiance to ISIS in a Scarborough courtroom where she appeared to face allegations that she swung a golf club at hardware store employees while screaming threats and Islamic chants. Before Tuesday's proceedings started, Justice of the Peace Ace Napier asked Rehab Dugmosh uh, to identify herself in court, but the accused woman didn't initially answer the question. ISIS, I pledge to the leader of the believers, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, blurted the woman through an interpreter. Al-Baghdadi is the leader of the Sunni militant jihadist group known as the Islamic State of Iraq, or ISIS, or ISIL, whatever uh, alphabet soup you want to stick on them. <sighs> Dugmash, who wore a black niqab and a forest green prison sweatsuit, agreed to stay in jail rather than have a bail hearing at College Park Court, the court heard Tuesday. 
She was remanded in custody and will appear via video at the Scarborough Court of Justice on June 21st. So she's in a Canadian tire store, and she grabs a golf club and starts swinging it at people. All in the name of ISIS. Now, what if, okay, look, it, you get four or five guys, you tackle or you take away the golf club. No harm done, right? Or very little, unless, of course, she happens to bean you with the golf club. But what if it had been a machete? What if she'd actually seriously hurt or killed somebody? See, this kind of... When someone says, I'm going to kill you, and then picks up anything as a weapon and tries, you really ought to take it seriously. So the question I would put to our vaunted leader, our, our, you know, our... um, that's right. She did have. That's right. They found a big knife on her. Um, thanks, uh, Mike. Um, she was found with a knife later. I've forgotten about that. I didn't read it far enough into the story. But the point is, she did have. What if she pulled that instead of the golf club? And it's the same question. It's the same thing. You know, we turn a blind eye to it. It's almost like, you know, when a little kid uh, tries to take on a big bully and the big bully just sticks his hand out and puts it on the forehead of the little kid and the little kid just wailing away angry and just gonna, wants to kill the big kid but can't reach. Okay, you ever see that? Well, Or sometimes it comes up in cartoons and so on. All right, well, what happens if the kid gets a little older and instead of using his fists, now grabs a tire iron and smacks the big kid in the knee? All of a sudden, it's a different game now, isn't it? But the mentality is the same. See, that's the whole point. The mentality is the same. And we cannot ignore this. We've been really lucky. We've had a few terrorist attacks. Anthony Carrillo on, um, on the Cenotaph, that warrant officer out in Quebec uh, a few years ago. You know, there have been attempts. There, we've had honor killings. We, but by and large, when you compare the activity, the kind of carnage that's going on in Europe and the Middle East, we've gotten off really lightly. But that won't last. And that's what I'm talking about. This is the kind of things... Um, Yeah, she could have had a pipe bomb too. Who knows? But the point is, it doesn't matter what the weapon is. What the matter is, like, you can, you, if somebody wanted to to make, you know, stuff some gunpowder in a, in a, in a pipe, put a fuse in it and just throw it, you know, out into an open field just for fun, that's different than taking that thing, walking into a crowd and throwing it into a group of school children. Same action, different intent, right? It's the same thing here. So we have to stop pandering to this kind of nonsense. And unless Trudeau stands up and says, you know something, I admit it, we have a problem. And actually deals with this head on. It's only going to get worse and Canadian blood will flow through our streets if we don't do something. We cannot afford to turn a blind eye and have our butts handed to us by a a tin pot organization determined to do everything it can to kill us. That's what this is all about. It's not the, you know, somebody, uh, what, uh, Peter, what was the name of that professor? Jordan Peterson. Uh, I was watching a video of his, I think I even posted it on, on uh, Facebook. Um, but he made a comment, and I, darn it, I lost my train of thought. You got to watch more of Peter. He's He's amazing. But the whole, I guess what I'm trying to say is we have to take this stuff seriously because if we don't, we will pay for this. And under present leadership, I see no move towards taking that, taking that on. All right, I have to take a quick break here. Now, from what I understand, all this is going to work out really well. 
because because we have made all the technical changes to our situation. So what I'm going to do, if I can find the right, oh look, it's over there. So all right. So you listen to this. We'll be right back with more on the Nick and Night Show here on Late Night Council. Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right, there, took care of that. Okay, now, next on the list, you know, some people, I got to do this one. I, I just, I, I, I don't get it. What is it about people that I just don't understand? How is it, you've got a guy, <laughs> okay, you know, what's funny about this is the fact that <laughs> I keep seeing this and I can't believe it. Okay, now you're all aware, we just had, of course, you're all aware that Andrew Scheer was the winner of a, of a long, long leadership campaign with 14 people in it all wanting to be the next prime minister. Okay, fine. Kevin O'Leary, for a little while at least, was one of them. You see, he, he, he waited to the last minute to declare. So I've come to a conclusion about this guy. He entered a race he didn't want to win, and he bowed out. When things got tough. And somebody said, yeah, he tried to be just like the, he's just like the, the Trump of the North. And I said, no, 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 no. Donald Trump, first of all, get in right from the beginning, stayed through it all, no matter how tough it got, and won. So there's the biggest difference. Now, whether you like Trump or not, it's not the point. But the point is you can't call him a quitter. Uh, Kevin O'Leary, on the other hand, not only is a quitter and a loser, he now wants a recount. He wasn't even. <laughs> he wants a recount. All right, let me share you some of this with you. Kevin O'Leary wants the Conservative Party of Canada to recount the ballots we, that we cast in the recent leadership contest. Excuse me a minute. I see no reason why we should not have a recount, the former Conservative leadership candidate said. There are a relatively few number of votes to count, and I'm sure no leader of the Conservative Party wants to start a new mandate under a vote count cloud. Mr. O'Leary, you bowed out of the race. You got no dog in this hunt. The short answer to your request is go away. Go back to Boston. Go back to collecting guitars. Go back to whatever it is you want to do, but we're no longer interested in anything you have to say about Canadian politics. You prove to us how much it means to you because you were in the race for, oh, long enough to realize it was going to be harder than you thought, 
and you weren't necessarily going to win, so you ran away. And now you want to recount? Look, I don't know. Am I the only one who thinks this is crazy? 343-700-4390. And by the way, if you call, I'm going to have to keep looking over at the screen here because I'm looking here at you guys, and over there is where the calls come in. So if you if you are on hold, if you call, and I don't see you immediately, it's my fault. Okay, I will check it. I'm going to start trying to get my head, feel like an old-time fighter pilot, turn your head all over the place. Anyway, 343-700-4390-844-562-4766. Now, so with, with Kevin, he goes, he goes <sighs> I just can't believe. In a phone interview, O'Leary told iPolitics that a recount could clear the air and solidify opposition leader Andrew Scheer's mandate. He's already got a mandate. Even Maxine Bernier has come on side and said, okay, Andrew won. Let's get behind him. You know what? That's not bad advice. Now, I have an issue with Andrew Scheer, but it's not something I'll burn the barn down over. I think, well, when you look at the seating assignments uh, in the... Um, uh, in the opposition benches, Andrew Shears up front, and that makes sense. That's where the leader sits. And all his uh, you know, top lieutenants are on either side of them get the front row. They're front benchers, right? Brad Trost came in fourth out of 14. And it was because of Brad Trost that Andrew Shear managed to eke out that razor-thin edge over Maxine Bernier. So where is he sitting? Third row out in the hallway. Way the heck in the back corner. Now... We could go down that road if you want to, but honestly, the bottom line is any of these guys would make a better prime minister than the one we have now. So I am not going to cause that big a deal or that big a fuss over it. I'd like to see Brad in the front benches. I think that's where he belongs. But that's not enough for me to say, no, I don't like Andrew Shear and tough, and I'm not going to, you know, I, I, I thought that way at first when I first posted the thing on Facebook, but the more I think about it, uh, that's water under the bridge. It is what it is. And the bottom line here is that uh, we need we need to find a way to make sure that the Boy King is a one-term wonder. And he's quickly ushered out the door so the adults can take back over the government. Because the way things are going now, it is not good. So anyway, um, just the idea that Kevin O'Leary, Kevin O'Leary of all people, thinks we need <laughs> a recount. In a race for a race, he didn't have the courage to stick it out to the end. Would he have made a difference in the final tally? Maybe it was that close. Who knows? We'll never know now because he didn't have the internal fortitude to stick to to finish something he started. You know that's the mark of a real of of a man. That is the mark of a leader, as somebody who, when they start something, come hell or high water, they finish it. They learn the lessons that come from it, and they move on. That's what being part of being a man is. Obviously, Kevin O'Leary doesn't agree with me, and that's okay. All right, so let me move on here because there's plenty more. Okay, now, let's see. Oh, this one. I don't know about you, and maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. The original found one of the co-founders of Greenpeace left the organization years ago and is now very much a, as the... Uh, progressives would say, a climate science denier. I'd say he knows more about science than a whole room full of those people, but anyway, I, his name will come to me, I'm sure. But anyway, Greenpeace is um, is uh, out there, and they're trying to take a, they're trying to stop a, ca a court case. Uh, 
against a company called, where is it, uh, Resolute. Okay, let me share a little of this. Uh, share a little of this with you because this is just rich. And there's a, okay, it's a Montreal-based company called Resolute Forest Products. Uh, let's see. I dive in here. Uh, it is the it in this sentence is Greenpeace has been at war with the company for more than five years, branding Resolute the forest destroyer and successfully persuading mass marketer Best Buy to drop them as a supplier. In particular. Greenpeace has accused Resolute of destroying endangered forests, causing the destruction of endangered species. Resolute is also suing Greenpeace in the U.S., but Greenpeace has criticized the company's Canadian operations. There is plenty more, including a charge that Resolute's logging operations impair the ability of boreal forests to mitigate climate change. Resolute notes that it has, been, that it has planted a billion trees and then asks, I think, one of the most important questions uh, that Greenpeace is going to have to answer. And that, of course, is how many trees has Greenpeace planted? No wonder they want their day in court. Anyway, it goes on, but the, possi- the, the, the whole point is g- groups like Greenpeace. Oh, let me go down there. In the article here, there is uh, how much money they made. Um, first, it's irritating for a group that boasts escorting Jane Fonda around the oil sands to present themselves as humble litigants facing overwhelming litigation costs. Don't kid yourself. Greenpeace is a money mill. In Canada alone last year, they received donations of more than $12 million. Worldwide, Greenpeace International raked in a staggering $337 million. If it's accused of using its enormous clout uh, irresponsibly, Greenpeace can afford to defend itself in court. So it's not like they're paupers. But they don't. What in, in other words, what they're really saying here in this article is we don't want to have to face our allegations and you know face the music in court because our position is so solid and so scientifically proven that to do so is a waste of the court's time. In other words, if you don't agree with us, shut up and just hand over the money. Well, Resolute has every right to take in the court, and I certainly think they do. But it's about time we started challenging these people on some of the nonsense they put out. It's absolute drivel. And when you s- simply listen to um, people, and you got, there's all kinds of sources out there. If you want to go and get the information, the next time you run in, like, you know, sometimes in the city downtown, uh, whatever place you happen to live in, you have um, uh, these people out there, um, uh, oh, what's the word, canvassing. That's it. You know, the kids, they'll have a little jacket on, say, the World Wildlife Fund or the Sierra Club or Greenpeace, and they'll ask you to donate. You know, and they'll engage you for a little bit. And whenever I see them, I run right over, man. I'm in there and I'm asking them questions because every second I I spend with them is one second they don't have to fleece somebody out of a dollar. And eventually they catch on to what I'm doing. And you know what? I don't even fault the kids doing it because they don't know what they're doing. I'm just trying to be a pain in the neck, and I can be very effective at that. So if you want to have some fun, the next time you see somebody who's canvassing for something idiotic, like stop wearing fur or uh, save the rainforest or don't you care about polar bears or all this nonsense, engage them in conversation. Keep it polite. Keep it respectful. (laughs) But see how long you can keep them tied up before they go, Maybe I should move along because I'm not making any, I'm not getting any donations. My record, I think, is about 27, 26 or 27 minutes. And then they finally said, yes, sir, I, I need to move along. I, I've got other people to talk to. 
And, uh, you know, at some point you have to say, okay, fine. But that was almost half an hour. They couldn't make any money. At least that one person didn't. So if we did that, before long they'd realize, you know what, not only are we not making any money at this, but we're not as convincing as we thought we were because all kinds of people are challenging us, us. And you know something? You just might plant a seed in the minds of one of those kids who do this to make them begin to question and look into what it is they actually support. You see, that's called education. And the left loves education when they're trying to put forward one of their agenda items. But they hate it when we use that against them. They absolutely hate it. Because then we get called, and you know when it happens, because you start getting called all kinds of isms or phobic of some kind. You're a, a, a phobe or you're a, you know, a hater. Haters got to hate, whatever the heck that means. So anyway, so I wonder, um, I wonder if you can just get that done. Just if, if you only had a chance to do that once and it worked, it'd be worth it. You know, if, if you could just turn one mind. It's kind of like I'm doing with that girl from France, taking some time in a very gentle but, a, a, you know, um, friendly way. I'm not a overly, um, I'm not the kind of guy who goes around looking for a fist fight. But at the same time, I am interested in trying to get people to look at things from a little bit different perspective. All right, I need to take a short break. When I get back, we will have more on the Naked Night Show here on Late Night Council right after this. Integrospect distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian made Integrospec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integrospec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613 835 2600. All right, now let's see what else we got in store for you here. Um, let's see. Oh yes, let's do this one. Okay, this is more <laughs> live with Kelly and Ryan. This is about this article is going back to uh, our young friend, uh, Mr. Trudeau, uh, the Boy King, and his appearance on um, on an American talk show. Now. Look, I wish I could play the clip, and we're going to try to have that ironed out for you for next week so I can actually let you listen for yourself instead of just taking my word for it or going up later and looking for it online. Uh, I'll have the clips ready. But anyway, um, Trudeau goes down on this American talk show uh, called It's with the hosts are Kelly Ripa and Ryan Seacrest. Eh, kind of a, you know, uh, typical fluff uh, TV talk show. Ah, oh, brother. Anyway, 
So let me share with you some of this to give you a sense of it. Americans obviously, obvi, ob, oh, try that again. Americans obviously think Canada is a little more than a novelty hovering above them, and so unworthy of respect that talk show hosts like Kelly Ripa and Ryan Seacrest think it's perfectly okay to prod our prime minister to take off his shirt. It was impolite and ill-mannered, even if it did come from a television show based largely on delivery, delivering easily digestible mush. But nonetheless, nonetheless, with ratings making it one of the top syndicated talk shows in the United States. So the sexiest politician in the world, as Ripa put it, is not treated as a world leader, but as a vacuum-brained celebrity, which is not too far wrong in the minds of many. Yeah, ain't that the truth? Now, uh, scrolling down here a little bit. Uh, okay, they asked him about. Uh, they asked him um, a question, and uh, let's see. Pap begets Pap, of course. When Trudeau was asked about keeping Canada safe from terror in the wake of yet another atrocity in Great Britain, he gave the thin answer that keeping citizens safe was the biggest responsibility of any leader. Then he said this. There's all sorts of different things we need to do, whether it's investing in safety, security, police officers, investigative national security stuff or whether it's creating a society in which we're there for each other, we lean on each other, and we're resilient enough to handle bad things happening without falling into a bad space. What the heck was that? Resilient enough? Falling into a bad space? There was no outrage expressed by Trudeau regarding another horror being inflicted on London. No mention that a young Canadian woman was among those murdered by dupes of the ISIS death cult. No solidarity with British Prime Minister Theresa May, who said enough was enough, and that ways must be found to shut down the dark cyber world exploited by terrorist operatives. Oh, and shutting down the Internet or having the government regulate the Internet is not the answer, Prime Minister May. That was from an article earlier this week. She said, okay, we got to get a hold of the Internet. we got to regulate it. No, 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 no. No. That is not how you do that. Anyway, I'm getting off track. It also became obvious that during the program that at least to Canadian viewers as to why it's a good thing Trudeau never taught history. <laughs> Can you believe this? Okay, remember something, all right? You would think that the prime minister would know a little bit about who certain prime ministers in the past have been, but he goes, uh, it's, uh, they asked him about a uh, female prime minister for Canada. For this is what he said. I will have one. Do- I, I say, I will say, I have one daughter, and there's some something very special about imagining a woman prime minister. I think it's long overdue. I just don't think we have to wait that long. I think it should be sooner than that. I guess he forgot about Kim Campbell. Now somebody said we don't want a. You know, she was appointed. She wasn't elected. But you know what? That doesn't mean she wasn't prime minister. That doesn't mean the current prime. And it wasn't all that long ago. We're not going back to William Lyon Mackenzie. We're not going back to Laurier, or Bennett, or any of these other guys. We're talking about Kim Campbell. If my memory serves me right, that was in the late eighties, right after Brian Mulroney. So it's not like it was, oh, my God. No wonder. You know something? Can you imagine for a second Vladimir Putin being asked to take his shirt off? Do you think he would even go on a show like that? Do you think Donald Trump, Angela Merkel, well, well, who cares about her? But, you know, any of the other major world leaders wasting their time, lowering the dignity of their office to going on an American pap Um, television talk show. 
No, of course not. And this is the whole point. What is the matter with this nonsense? Why would Prime Minister Trudeau, and I shudder to use that phrase, but that's what he is, whether I like it or not. You know, he's still the Prime Minister of the country. So why? Would he, would, who was it in his inner circle that said, you know, that's a pretty, that, that show has a lot of ratings. You could really make yourself look good if you just left a couple buttons undone in your shirt. Oh, man. The kid has no idea what real leadership is, has no idea what he's doing, has no idea about the kind of respect due his office, even if you don't like him. There's a certain respect. You know, Ronald Reagan had so much respect for the office of the White House, he wouldn't even take his jacket off in the Oval Office. Contrast that to the selfie king. And whether you liked Reagan or not, it's not the point. The point is, there was respect for the office. Can you imagine Stephen Harper? And again, I'm setting about personal preferences aside, about whether you liked him or not. Did he ever show up on a on a um, you know a, a a talk show like that no they were he carried himself with a and a lot even and you can say the same thing about Cretchen and Martin and you know all the different leaders down through the years Diefenbaker they would never have done that the head of a G8 country are you kidding so here we have Trump our Trump here we have um, our glorious leader if he's not paddling around in a canoe on Lake Ontario contemplating how he's going to inflict more climate change damage on us, he's going on to onto, uh, daytime talk shows that have kids for an audience. Well, you know something? Maybe it makes sense. Maybe that's why he does it, because that's the only group he can talk to who think he's actually smart. Or at least is somebody who understands them. It'd be nice if he'd just stay home and do his job. You know, there's a video out, um, and I can't, again, I can't play it, but he's in question period, and Thomas Mulcair just tears him to pieces. Now, if you know me at all, you know I'm no NDP supporter. Okay. He just, but, and I posted this on Facebook for you. You guys on Facebook, go and have a look at it. If you all, if you haven't looked already, take some time and go on my Facebook page, or you can look it up yourself. Okay. Go to YouTube and look it up, however. But they call Tom Mad Dog. For a reason. He stands in the House of Commons and he rips Trudeau to pieces. Now, and I saw this, I watched a bunch of these videos before the show tonight. And whether it was him or the Conservatives, all demanding answers on different issues. I think I saw the Prime Minister stand and answer one of them. And every other time... It was the leader of the Liberal Party in the House of Commons. It was a young lady. I forget her name now. Uh, she fielded the, even though he's sitting right there. He's sitting right there. He could have stood up. And you know something in Thomas Mulcair's comments? He said during um, a scandal, that well, I forget the scandal, but he mentioned it. He said during all of that scandal, Prime Minister Harper stood every single day in the House and took every single question. If it was directed at him, he took it. 
Prime Minister Trudeau sits there with that smug grin on his face and lets a girl fight his battles. Now, I'm not putting down women. She's a far better man than he is. I'm saying he hasn't got a spine. He will not tolerate being challenged. So when he does get up, it's his flippant non-answer, and you can tell he's just bored. What the heck is he doing there? In the Why am I wasting my time with this? Don't you know I'm king? Kind of an attitude. And Mulcair tears him to bits. Now, like I said, I'm no NDP supporter, but, oh, man, it's fun to watch. So if you get a chance to watch that, by all means, take the time and go and do it. Now, on a far more serious uh, note, and this really troubles me, I cannot believe the courts are even going to entertain this idea. There's a story. This comes from LifeSiteNews.com. It's out of Des Moines, Iowa. Now you say, well, what difference does that make? Because it's it. This is a trend. This can be. This can become a trend, and I find it terrifying. Court rules parents can file wrongful birth lawsuit, saying they wish their child was never born. Think about that. For all of you who are parents out there, look. I know kids are challenging. I know it as well as anybody else. I got a bucket full myself, and they can be challenging. No doubt about it. And some parents have far more challenges with their children than I ever do. But to say that you wish your kids had never been born, let me share a little bit of this. It just blows my mind. Iowa parents who say they would have aborted their unborn son if they had known he had cerebral palsy may sue their doctors. The state Supreme Court ruled Friday. So the state Supreme Court has given them permission to actually seek legal damages from their doctors. Radio Iowa reports Pamela Plowman and her ex-husband Jeremy filed wrongful birth suits after lawsuits after their doctors did not inform them of the abnormalities that showed up on an ultrasound of their unborn son. Pamela said their son was born in Fort Madison with cerebral palsy and other medical issues, and if she had known about them before his birth, she would have she would have aborted him, according to the report. She and Jeremy Plowman, who divorced after the son's birth, filed separate lawsuits against the doctors seeking money for the cost of raising their son, mental anguish, and loss of income. So, if you've ever heard anything more cold, more absolutely heartless than that, tell me about it. To wish your son or child, son or daughter, doesn't matter. To wish that your child had never been born, are you kidding me? How cold and heartless do you have to be to come to that point? Since when is your income more important than your child? You know something? Life isn't fair. It has never been fair. Nowhere does it say that that thou your life shall be fair. That's the 11th commandment. Thou shalt make sure life is fair. Not there. Okay? That's not carved in any stone. That's not written in any book. That's not etched in any marble anywhere. As a matter of fact, you should have the opposite. Life is not fair. Deal with it. There was a story in the news last week about a young boy who had a problem, and I can't remember the name of the problem. Yes, it is vile. Uh, I think that's Wendy. Uh, yes, it's absolutely vile. You're absolutely right. And it is about... But, okay, I'm just doing my best to control my temper here. But the, the poor young lad had a problem where his skin would easily separate from like come away from the tissue underneath it. Very, very painful. And his parents 
they didn't say, geez, you know, if we'd known, we'd, we, we would have aborted this child before he was born. They were full of, they realized that in order for this young man to have any kind of life at all, they had to make huge sacrifices because that's what love is. That's what life is. It's sacrifices. You don't always get what you want. You don't always, look, there are things I want in life so bad I can taste it. But guess what? It doesn't always pan out that way. Sometimes the needs of others have to become come before your own. And when you get married and when you have children, you have an obligation, a moral obligation that trumps everything else in your life to take care and raise to the best of your ability your children, not to lament their birth. This is disgusting beyond imagination. And for the Supreme Court to say, yeah, that falls into the category. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, uh-huh. you go ahead and sue your doctor. They should have said, are you crazy? Get out of my courtroom, you cold-hearted. <sighs> I'm telling you, folks, this stuff just makes my blood boil. It absolutely makes me furious. Because to me, there is nothing more precious. And I do mean nothing more precious than the innocence of a young child. Why do you think when people, when the whole thing about Ben Levin broke a few years ago, about that pedophile writing our sex curriculum? So I, I, I got so crazy about it because that is, to me, one of the most heinous things you can do to a child is to rob them of their innocence, especially like that. So when you just... I'm telling you, folks, it's it. I really can't stand it. It just, I had to bring that story to your attention because this, I, 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 there's, I don't want this to become a trend. I don't know how to stop it because that's where we're heading as a culture, and as a sus, and as a, oh man, and as a society. You see, life is sacred. Human life is sacred. And everybody has value. All of us, no matter what we look like, no matter what we do for a living, no matter what stage of life we're in, all of us have value. And that needs to be, you know, a government's number one job should be to protect that value. To make sure that people are not treated like cattle, are not abused for the sake of the state. And yet we see it all the time. Why do you think Justin Trudeau behaves that way? Because he sees no intrinsic value, none, in human life. Anything beyond what is convenient for him, what makes his life easier. How much tax can I get out of these people before they come storming down the down, down Wellington Avenue with pitchforks and lanterns? How many freedoms can I remove from them before they finally wake up? That's what you see in the trenches. And it's not unique to Canada, but that's what we're dealing with. Today is June 7th, the day after the 73rd, I think 73rd anniversary of D-Day. When Canadian soldiers, along with American and British and dozens of other countries, it wasn't just the three, there were people representing all kinds of countries involved in D-Day, stormed the beaches in Normandy to to begin the end of the of one of the darkest chapters in our history 
And we, 73 years later, are fighting the same evil right here at home. What do you think our dead veterans would say if they could come back and see what we've done with our with their freedom with the freedom that they paid such a high price for? What do you think they'd tell us? I have no way to know, but I don't know many that would be happy that this is what they fought for. So the children could be disposed of if they're found to be inconvenient. So that the state could tell you how to live and even how to die. And when. No, I'm sorry, folks. This is this is a sad day when this kind of stuff happens. All right, I'm going to take a break. When I come back, we'll have more on the Nick at Night Show right here on Late Night Council. Automotion. 17 years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, but fix it right the first time. Irwin's Automotion, 34, Cleopatra. Tell them council sent you. That'll make them smile. All right. The numbers, as uh, as mentioned, are three four three seven zero zero four three nine zero eight four four five six two four seven six six. Let's see what else we have in the queue here. Oh yeah, defense. Okay, I got to get into this. In the second hour, I want to talk a little bit more about the resignation of uh, what's his name again. I have it right here. Uh, do do Robert Elliott from uh, the Conservative Party of Ontario. Uh, senior leadership. Uh, that was a big deal, so we'll get to that. But I just wanted um, defense. Okay, now, as you all know, I am a huge supporter of defense. I'm a former member of the military. And the liberals have come out, and they swear to, oh, we look, they're, they're going to go and build ships. They're going to go buy ships. They're going to go buy airplanes. They're going to do a whole host of things. A whole host of things. Oh, they're going to go spend money like they're, they have a printing pr- Oh, they do have a printing press. <laughs> but they're going to go spend gobs and gobs of money. And I'm not I'm not against spending money. If the one place I want government to spend more money, it's on defense. The problem is they're going to increase by 70% over the next 10 years how much we spend on defense. Now, that isn't necessarily bad. The problem is who's making the promises? The liberals are. What's their record on keeping their promises? Zero or very, very low. They keep the promises they should break, and they break the promises they should keep. And I'm telling you, folks, I do not believe for a second that they're going to keep these promises. You know why? Because most of the money is going to flow 
after the next election. What, they always set it up this way. And I don't know that they're the only party that does that. I'm sure the conservatives do it to an extent, too. So I'm not trying to put them up on any pedestal. But in this case, you've got a situation where you've got defense. One of the most important things that we have to defend us against outside threats. And they're promising 70% increase. They want to raise it to 32.7 billion in defense spending. Okay, well, they want to spend all kinds of money on airplanes. They want to spend all kinds of money on refurbishing submarines, surface ships. All And uh, to me, that sounds wonderful. But I have absolutely no confidence, and I do mean none, none in their ability to fall through on those, um, on those particular promises. And you know why? Because they've made those promises before, and we still haven't seen it. And they're not the only ones when it comes to defense. The conservatives weren't a whole lot better. They made a lot of promises. Not many of them got fulfilled. All right. I'm going to take my top-of-the-hour break uh, because i got to go to a little back, get in a little boys' room, and i got to refresh my teacup. So when I get back, we'll have more on the Late Night Council Show right after this. Stick around, won't you? So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one. But maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he can talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts and while you're on hold and, and, and you'll be fine. night does not exist without advertisers so if you want to buy time you contact either myself jc at latenightcouncil.com or you can contact nick if you're more comfortable with him and of course i certainly understand that you can contact nick at latenightcouncil.com the ads are like really really cheap i mean you're gonna you're gonna love them okay we've made them quite accessible Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night.
Okay, change gears a little bit. There's more in here that we'll get into, no doubt. Um, I just got to dump some of the stuff we've already talked about. Uh, okay, yeah, I do want to get into that. But before I do, here's... Um, on Facebook this week, I asked the question this week, well, in the last few days. I, I gave both the ladies and the men in my group a, a little task. Now, I posted a video for the guys, and it was about um, getting your masculinity back. It was a boot camp, and they put you through hell. I mean, it was it's just like basic training boot camp. I mean, you know, forced marches and, you know, all kinds of exercise and, and just, you know, get your roar back, get your testosterone flowing. And to the guys, I asked, you know, would you attend a boot camp like that? Because for me, um, I think that's certainly something that uh, has been, I don't, I don't want to say bred out of us, but the idea of men being masculine, however you want to define that term, has been really taken a beating uh, in the last 20 or 30 years. You know, look at the, the trend towards making little, trying to make little boys play with dolls and little girls play with dump trucks. In other words, you erase the gender differences between the two as if that could be done and then how frustrated people get when little boys still want to play with dump trucks and little girls for the most part still want to play with dollies it's natural it's just the way they are um you know boys are rough and girls are loud and ask me how i know that i can tell you but the other the other point was with the ladies i asked them to finish a sentence and i said Ladies, and this turned into a long thread. Like, I, I never did see the end of it. I, I suppose I could go back look and, and look now. But the, the, the question was, I don't need feminism because. And holy cow, the page exploded. It's just like the answers piled up. And some of them were really good. Some of them was because I'm comfortable with who I am. I don't need anybody telling me what, you know, how I should act or, or they just didn't need the um, uh, feminists. And we're talking because there's they have this lang funny language. You know, they just talk about first wave feminism, second wave feminism. Well, now we're on third or fourth wave. Whatever that means, feminism today is not what feminism was. Let's take it back to 1900 when they were trying to get the vote, okay? Um, I don't think anybody today would argue, excuse me, would argue that women have the right to vote. Now, there was a time in quite a while in, in North America when not only women couldn't vote, but only landowners could. Now, this, from the landowner's point of view, there is a certain logic to only let it. Now, I'm not suggesting we go back to this, but the reason why, in the beginning, it was one man, one vote, as long as you owned land, which is the you know what happened. But the reason why was because the laws passed had a direct impact on uh, uh, on um, someone's ability to create wealth for themselves, which is located within the land they owned. It's still true today. The wealth of a country is in the land. Why do you think it's so hard to get control of it? Why do you think the UN wants it so bad? Why do you think governments won't sell off any more crown land? They don't want it in private hands. Because if you if you sell off too much land, then the population doesn't need the government. 
They can fend for themselves. They can feed themselves. They can do all kinds of things that they now rely on the government to do. So anyway, that was the logic behind it in those days, so that they would, the people voting had a vested interest in making sure that things like property rights and individual freedoms were protected. Now, that changed over time. And I'm not, like I said before, I'm not suggesting we go back to that, but that was where they were coming from. And when women began to insist on the vote, um, you know, looking back historically, it was the right thing to do. But that's not the kind of feminism we're talking about today. We're talking about a kind of violent, uh, man-hating, just absolutely angry, miserable... uh, Like, I wouldn't want to get stuck in an elevator full of feminists, you know, the kind that I'm talking about. What a horrible experience that would be. You'd want to stand in the back corner and not say a word. You know, it's just these women are just incredibly angry at everything. Even each other. Did you know that one of the most dangerous relationships that a woman can enter into is a lesbian relationship? That's where domestic violence is the highest. It just blows my mind. I I read that statistic, and you know, it almost makes sense. Because let's face it, when two girls get mad at each other, and it comes to blows, it can get ugly. Nobody wants to get between that. It just ain't, like two guys will sock it out. You know, they'll, they'll go around in the parking lot, but when it's over, it's over. Not with girls. It's just not the same thing at all. So anyway, I'm drifting down. I, I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to get into that fight. But the bottom line, what I'm saying is that feminism today is not the kind of feminism that you and I would support. Equal rights, you know, uh, having the ability to vote. Uh, you know, if they want to become the VP of a company, they're certainly welcome to do that. You know, we've had... Hey, Mr. Trudeau, listen up. We've had female prime ministers before. I'm not opposed to that. My member of parliament's a female. I don't have any problem with that at all. Because ultimately, I think that real feminism is very much the same, has this much in common with, with, um, with conservatism. And that is, it's based on merit. The thing that matters is, are you the best individual for the job? Have you got the best qualifications? That's what matters. That's what matters. That kind of feminism I can support all day long. I like strong, independent women. I'm surrounded by them. Okay? (laughs) If you know my wife, you know all about strong women. If you know my daughters. I have a 16-year-old daughter, 15-year-old, almost 16, who is not afraid of a debate. She will stand and stand her ground and argue all day long. I don't know where she gets that from, but it's one of the traits that she has. Okay, same thing with, with that's just the way they are. It's uh, my wife and I, you know, never squashed them for for expressing a view we didn't necessarily agree with. Although there's not many of those, we, you know, they they're pretty well grounded kids, and I think that's true in a lot of cases. But today, when they go to university and the kind of uh, you know they get involved, if you get into the humanities or into women's studies. Oh, boy, it gets ugly fast. So feminism, as we understand it today, but I was blown away, to get back to my original comment, I was blown away by not only the number of comments, but the virulent attitude, uh, the anger that was expressed against feminists as we know them today, whether third or fourth or tenth wave, whatever it is you want to call it, ex- saying, to, saying to, you know, they would say to uh, one of these... Um, just absolutely over-the-top feminists, you don't speak for me. 
And don't ever think you do. You know, I'm my own woman. I'm, you know, I'm comfortable with who I am. I like the fact that I'm a woman. I like the fact I'm different than men. I like the fact I embrace my femininity, and I don't have a problem with it. And I don't have a problem with men doing the same thing. I mean, embrace their masculinity. <laughs> I better be careful what I'm saying here. But the the point is, there was just this huge. Um, it just went crazy. So I just thought I'd share that with you because it was one of those deals where you wonder, holy cow. Because <laughs> once in a while, I just like to ask a bit of a philosophical question, and that one just took off. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie says, women's studies are diabolical to the core, paraphrased from Dr. Jordan Peterson, and he's right. As a matter of fact, that I did see that clip earlier today. I might That might be one I posted, but... You know, that's the other thing about our universities. Sometimes we paint with a really broad brush about, you know, um, how terrible they are. And I think in a lot of cases, in a lot of areas, uh, women's studies and humanities being one of them, um, you know, we're probably right. But we got to be careful with guys like Jordan Peterson. They need our support because he's one of the very few voices I've heard coming out of universities. Now, now I don't think he's the only one, but he's certainly been the lightning rod for it where these guys, he's a very, very intelligent man. I listened to him do a couple of, uh, uh, where he testifies before a Senate subcommittee on this or that topic, and he absolutely shreds the, the, the uh, senators when he, he's asking, you know, okay, well, what were they really saying? You know, say, well, would you, she, one, in one particular case, ask them about the definition of transgenderism and how, you know, and he said, well, what exactly? They disagree with you, these, all these studies. And she kept listening on. He said, well, but what did they actually say? Because I don't believe in discrimination either. I don't believe in, in you know, um, putting a value on people based on what they look like or anything like that. I don't do that. That's not me. And she said, well, I don't have time to read the whole thing. But in general, she says, well, you've presented no evidence at all about what they have to say. So I, I, I think it's just nonsense. And somebody asked him, would you ever take um, diversity and uh, what was the other one? There's two phases to the training, sensitivity training. He said, no, and under no circumstances will I ever take it. I don't need it. I don't want it, and I think it's disingenuous. There's no evidence to support any, any uh, conclusions that you can draw from it. It's not scientific, and he just tore them apart. So when you have somebody like that, they need to be supported. And they need to be told uh, in any way that we can that we're with you and that we understand what you're trying to do and that that kind of work needs to continue because our young kids going into university today are flooded with Marxism and they're flooded with Hegelianism and all kind of other evil-isms, communism, you name it. Um, and at that young, impressionable age when they're all full of uh, vim and vinegar, you know, enthusiasm for life, and they want to change the world, and somebody says, yeah, man, and they get them all emotionally stoked. But they don't take the time to explain what it means to go out and do this, what the long-term ramifications are. And that's how come you get these kids doing stuff that you just shake your head at, because nobody's ever explained to them what it's going to make them look like, you know, uh, what the long-term ramifications the other side of the of the coin or the back side of the sword, if you want, they just they just don't get it, and they, they, nobody bothers to tell them. It's not serving their interests to tell them that because 
if they were actually truthful with them, the vast majority of kids wouldn't have anything to do with it, and they don't like that idea at all. All right, now, I want to switch over. There's, uh, there's been an ongoing debate on Facebook and in other places uh, where the talk about, uh, you know, the value of Patrick Brown as leader of the conservative party of the provincial conservative Tories uh, or the PC party of Ontario. And quite frankly, I see nothing different with him. And I do mean nothing different with him uh, than I see with Kathleen Wynne. The only difference is he's clearly male. <laughs> and the other thing is he wears a blue tie. But other than that, and I defy anybody, show me, and I, I really wish there's certain commentators out there uh, who keep saying, yeah, but you know what? We can't let Win win. We've got to beat Win." Yeah, to what end? Okay, and I would love to engage them in, in a debate because here's the question I would ask them. Show me what tangible, substantive difference there is in philosophy and policy between, between Kathleen Wynne and Patrick Brown. What is it about Patrick Brown that you think is worth suffering through that's going to change. What? No, let me rephrase that. We take that back and rephrase it. What is it about Kathleen? Or what do you think Patrick Brown is going to do to change the things that are causing this kind of grief that we're suffering under Kathleen Wynne? Will he repeal the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage? I don't know. He's never said anything about it. He just says it'll kill business. Yeah, but are you going to do anything about it if you get elected? He's never said hydro rates are going to go down under a brown government. He's never said anything about the sex ed curriculum, which should be thrown in the garbage, scrubbed, have their hands scrubbed clean, and start all over again and rewrite the whole curriculum. Why? Because it was written by a pedophile. If that's not a good enough reason for you, I don't know what is. So that would be, that would be um, uh, something that, you know, I, I see no cap, carbon, a carbon tax. He's for a carbon tax. That's conservative? So tell me. Tell me. What's the difference? Why would you vote for, if, you're, if you are inclined to vote for Patrick Brown, please Either call me at 343-700-4390 or tell me, either here on Facebook Live or whatever way you want to communicate, why would you vote for him and what are the differences? What do you think that's going to change? And just to say to get rid of Kathleen Wynne is not good enough. If nothing's going to change, then we might as well just leave her there. If nothing's going to change then we might as well, the devil you know versus the devil you don't. And I have no love for this present government. I think that's abundantly clear, too. They are the worst government in Canadian history going back. I could take that. I'll bet you that's true all the way back to, the, to uh, you know, uh, 1759. There's been no worse government in Canadian history since long before Confederation. These guys are absolutely horrible. So I'm curious, if you're going to vote for them, why? Tell me why. Now, a lot of people will say, okay, so what else What else are we going to do? 
I don't know yet. There are things I've heard about, whispers in the in the dark, that, that there's something new coming. And when that happens and I have more information, I'll tell you. But right now, I don't care. I would rather spoil my ballot. I would never not vote, but I would spoil my ballot before I'd vote for Patrick Brown or Kathleen Wynne. And I'm certainly not voting NDP. So, you got the numbers. Tell me why. Tell me why, if you are a supporter. Now, let once I've, now that I've thrown that challenge out, let me share with you this story. Here's why I think that his days may be numbered. Now, this broke in the star earlier this week. A progressive conservative vice president has resigned in protest from the party executive after officials glossed over a questionable nomination amid, uh, ad, um, uh, sorry, amid allegations of ballot stuffing. The star, okay, yeah, it's from the Toronto Star. Robert Elliott quit as the Tories' third vice president and policy chair after a raucous weekend meeting of, of the PC brass in Toronto, where leader Patrick Brown was given the the power to rubber stamp contentious candidates. In other words, what he's done is he's come out and he said, you know what? I'm going to be the one to decide which candidates run in what ridings. He's taking away the authority of riding associations and, by extension, the grassroots of the PC Party of Ontario to select who they want from amongst themselves to represent represent the PC Party in Queen's Park. Now, how is that democratic? Isn't the whole point of democracy that you get to pick who represents you? We're not a direct. We are not a direct um, democracy. We are a representative one. We elect representatives to do our bidding in the different houses of legislation across this country, whether on the federal, provincial, or even the municipal level. It's all the same process, right? If you have a municipal election, you vote for your councillor. If you have a provincial election, well, you know how it works. So the point I'm trying to make here is what exactly. Does Patrick Brown think he's doing? How does this how does this bode well for the future? What if you wanted to run? What if you wanted to run under the PC banner? Patrick Brown just said no. What if you had people in that riding association or in your riding who said yes? So let's say there were 800 people who said, we want you. Patrick Brown is going to deny them when they have the majority of the votes to get you as the candidate, not to go to Queen's Park, but just to vie for the right at the ballot box, going up against the candidates of the other parties. That's not democratic. You know, it's, it's days like this that I just, you got to ask yourself, what are we coming to? What are we coming to? How is this any kind of sensible at all? What are we going to tell our kids? You know, we raise them. I, I try to imbibe a little bit of Civics 101 in my kids for some reason. Uh, but And they get it. 
you know, and we teach them what how civics is supposed to work. And then we have this going on. How are we supposed to attract any new members? You know, and I'm talking about if if I'm talking about the PC party in general, what person in their right mind would spend the 10 bucks to join a party that will not allow them to have a say in who goes to Queen's Park on their behalf? Why would you join a party like that? Yeah, Bruce says more likely people will move out of Ontario. You know what? That may be true, but unless you're going to Saskatchewan, where else are you going to go? In BC, you have a green NDP alliance. Isn't that a isn't that a dance rigged in hell? In uh, Alberta, you've got uh, Notley. Quebec, well, Quebec is Quebec. Saskatchewan, Brad Wall. That's about the only place I can think of where somebody might go to. And you know what? I, I no disrespect to people from uh, from uh, Saskatchewan, but uh, I've been out there. <laughs> I like Ontario. I like my lakes and I like my rivers and I like my trees and rocks and hills. And I have a lot of that out there. And it's cold. They don't call it winter pig. No, no, that's, sorry, that's Manitoba. Uh, but uh, there's a standing joke out there that says you can, when your dog runs away from home, you can watch him leave for three days. That's how flat it is. Eh, maybe geography shouldn't be a problem. But, but you know something, running away from a problem ultimately doesn't fix it. It does leave it for others. There's, that's true. But I don't think running away is really what Canadians are all about. I think it's time we stand and fight. I think it's time we, we, we stop letting other people who have no interest in the common man st- start dictating to us how we're going to live, what we're going to do for a living, how much money we're going to make, and what government program we're going to depend upon. I was listening to the radio on the way in on, uh, today and yesterday. And uh, here in the city of Ottawa, there's a councillor by the name of David Cherzenko. Now, he is a Green Party member. And I'm telling you something. <laughs> it was tough to listen to. He wants to put a tax on parking spaces. You see, this is when, if I was talking to him and say, excuse me, Mr. Cherzenko, there already is a tax on parking spaces. That's how we paid to have the parking spaces put in in the first place. See, the public owns the street. Why does the public own the street? Because the public paid for the street. Now you want the public to pay again just because you don't like cars? But nobody seems to want to challenge these people on it. They just don't seem to want to you know, grab them by the throat and say, Are you crazy? What makes you, where, where do you get this idea that this is your job? Why do you think that bike lanes are more important than car lanes? Why do you pander to small little groups that drive the rest of us nuts? And then, of course, there was the interview with, with Elizabeth May. That was hard to listen to. I wish I had a clip of that to play you. Maybe I'll see if I can dig that up for next week. But that was hard, really tough, because every single word that came out of that woman's mouth was absolute nonsense. First of all, she was talking to my colleague, Rob Snow. And 
talking about how we have to do something about climate. I mean, we just have to do. We have to accept the fact it's real. We have to ha accept the fact that it's it's happening, and that if this ice on land slips into the water, you know, we're going to see uh, a twenty foot sea level rise. No, Miss May, we are not going to see a twenty foot sea level rise. Al Gore promised us that that it was going to happen. He promised in two thousand that in ten years, in twenty ten, it was going to happen. Guess what? It didn't. So maybe you should stop worrying so much about the things that didn't happen and start worrying about things that matter, like real problems, environmentally, even if you want. If, if environment is your ballywick, then fine. Let's talk about that. Why are we commissioning new dumps? Why are we not doing energy from waste? You want to clean up the environment? Listen, I'm all for a clean environment. I, will, I like the fact the water's clean. I like the fact that when I walk outside, I don't have a mask on. I like the fact that when I put a shovel in the soil, I'm not digging through four feet of tar, okay, or old engine oil. The soil's clean. The air's clean. The water's clean. We've done a really good job of looking after our environment to this point. And the vast majority of that was because private individuals who own private land look after it. Anyway, so she was babbling on about that, and it's just it was tough to listen to. And I, you know what? It wearies me sometimes because too many times people will, yes, Churchill Yankel drives me crazy. You're right, Marin. Absolutely, he drives me nuts. And there's Leaper and a bunch of others that are just as wacky as he is. But it's not you see the sad part is it's not unique to Ottawa. This kind of nonsense is going on all across the country. All in the guise of this scam, which I started the show with. This whole global warming nonsense. It's absolute utter nonsense. But if you really were cared about the environment, okay, and we've talked about this before, stop putting up dumps. Stop digging holes in the ground, throwing garbage in it. It cost about $500 million to open a new dump-like trail road here in Ottawa. You know, you can put up an energy-from-waste plant, a high-efficiency energy-from-waste plant. Let's say the money was the same, $500 million. Put up, say, a 5 or 10-megawatt place. Every town could have one. Every town has a landfill. All you need is about 70 or 80 tons a day, and you can run one. I've done the homework on this. I have a friend of mine who spent his life developing this system. It, and even if he didn't like that one, there's others around. There's other incinerators around that would do the same job. So why are we still burying our garbage? See, they don't want to talk about that. Now, Rob did ask her about why aren't we doing this. She says, well, you know, I haven't really looked into that, but we got to do climate change because, you know, the planet might get warmer by two degrees in the next hundred years and we're all going to die. No, we're not all going to die. Answer me this question. See, this is where I would have asked her. Answer me this question. If Canada were to get, and they're not talking, I don't know where she got this two degree figure. It's 0.8 to one degree at the most. Over the next 80 years. So let's say that it's one degree. Split the difference. Why would that be bad? Why would Canada be so much in so much trouble if our average temperature increased by one degree? 
if you're right that, well, the permafrost would melt and we'd have, you know, there wouldn't be as much sea ice, aren't those good things? Think about it. If you were to take the, like there's a line when you're, uh, different crops have different abilities to deal with the cold. But the warmer it is, the farther north that line goes. So on questionable arable land or, you know, land you could farm, that line moves further north, which means you'd have more land to farm, which means you'd have more food to feed people with. Warm is always better than cold when it comes to food production. So why would that be bad? Well, we'd lose all the polar bears. No, we wouldn't. Because polar bears can do something. They can adapt. Well, they'd all starve to death. No, they wouldn't. Because, first of all, that's not happening anyway. We have more polar bears now than we ever have. So, where's the big downside? But nobody ever, ever asks those questions. Why would it be bad for Canada to be one degree warmer over the next century? What's the big catastrophe? Plants would grow, you'd have a longer growing season. Plants would grow more vigorously if there was more carbon dioxide in the air. You'd get better crop yields. That's why greenhouses add carbon dioxide to their atmospheres within their greenhouses because they get more, more potatoes, or tom- not potatoes, but tomatoes or, or, or uh, bell peppers or whatever it is they're growing. They get more of them out of the greenhouse if they add more carbon dioxide because guess what carbon dioxide is? Plant food. So anyway, I'm rattling on and babbling on, but doggone it, this stuff makes me furious. Just enough to make you crazy. So all that, how did I get on that? (laughs) I was talking about (laughs) um, Robert Elliott. He quit the Tory Tory party, and I have a feeling, and maybe I'm wrong, um, but I have a feeling this is not the last resignation to come out of that office. When you have this kind of behavior going on, condoned by the party leadership, it has a... See, they say the trickle-down economics doesn't work, but trickle-down politics... And I don't believe that. I think it works extremely well. But trickle-down politics, yeah, that's a poison that hits the bottom of the well really fast. And you... Actually, it works from the bottom up. Because if you have this going on, the grassroots gets disillusioned really quickly... Because nobody wants to be part of a team like that. And all of a sudden, you're in trouble. So, I just thought I'd throw that out there for you to consider. What do you think? Um, let, me, let, let me ask you this. Assuming that Patrick Brown, over the next couple of months, uh, is either forced out or the party basically collapses from the inside out and he's on the outside looking in, who would you want as a leader to take over? Let's start thinking beyond that. Let's start thinking about who do you want as a leader? Because Patrick Brown's not it. He's shown no incentive. He's 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 running things like a dictator. He's he's um, imposing his will on the grassroots. He's doing everything the liberals do, and then still expecting people like us to vote for him. So who do you want as a leader? I don't know. Maybe there's maybe the next leader for the PC party is somebody none of us have heard of yet. I can tell you this much, it won't be me. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't go over very well. But 
surely there's got to be somebody out there. Maybe somebody who's got some good business sense, you know, and can explain things. I'm looking for a rock. When I say rock star, I don't mean the vapid, empty-headed, drug-induced kind. I'm talking about somebody who's solid as a rock, who can explain things in easily understood language, not to talk down to people, but just to be able to put it in terms that everybody can understand. You know, it's. I'll admit that's not going to be an easy thing to find. But you know, you notice something um, when I've been watching Andrew Shear during question period. He is just. He's a lot of fun to watch. He really is. He's got a quality. It's. It's hard not to like him. Whether you like him or not, you got to give him credit that he is at home in Parliament. He feels very comfortable there, and he has no problem dishing it out. So. Now, he's already, of course, taken, but, um, and I, I don't even have any names to throw out. Um, I don't know. Here's a thought. and it, it, I have no reason for suggesting this other than I'm, I'm scrambling for names. And what about Pierre Lemieux? I mean, he was in the federal race, didn't win. He's a sitting member of parliament. Oh, no, he's not. I don't think he is. But good, solid guy. Military man, good family. I don't know. What do you think? What about uh, maybe we'll throw Doug Ford's hat in the ring? Would you want Doug Ford as the leader? And there could be thousands of other people we don't even know about yet. But I'm just trying to throw some ideas out at you to see what you think. Um, <laughs> somebody's got way too much faith in me. <laughs> Now I apologize if because there is a little seam in my in my laptop, uh, um, and it kind of folds the word in half at that point. There's it's I need a new screen, so I can't quite see who it is. So uh, I'm not I'm not not giving you credit for the comment, uh, but one of the comments is you'd be a better leader than any of the other Yahoos and losers the party elected in all the recent leadership races. Yeah, I appreciate the sentiment. I'm not so sure that's true. Uh, but he does go on to say, hell no, no Fords. Um, all right, well, like I said, I'm, oh, I'm open to suggestions. Who do you think should take the reins once Patrick Brown is gone? Because I don't see him carrying this team in, never mind, out of an election. I don't see him carrying them in. Because it's becoming bluntly, ob- plainly obvious he has no interest in the democratic process. He has no interest in in what the grassroots has to say. Uh, He has no interest in anything but doing it his way. The problem is, if he does win doing it his way, then whenever anybody questions him, he'll say, shut up, sit down, we won this way, and this is how we're going to keep winning. Because he'll have a track record of success. And we can't let that happen, because if that does the process that we all know and love is dead for at least 20 or 30 years. So I think it's time to take a little break. When we get back, we'll have more on the Nick at Night Show right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back.
General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together. All right, I've got a couple of phone calls here, so we'll get to them right now. Good evening. Yes, Nick. Hi, how you doing? Who am I talking Hello. to? Hi. Your old buddy from the two, your old buddy from the two oh six. Kirk, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> hey, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going good. We're having a great time tonight, babbling about all kinds of things. What's on your mind? Yeah, yeah, on my mind, uh, I was. Uh, Trying to follow along about uh, the de- defense spending oh, budget that was okay, uh, so announced today or this morning or yeah, the liberals came up with whatever the they got planned. What is it, thirty-two billion dollars for what nine years or something like that? Yeah, they're thirty-two point seven over the next ten years. So they're going to increase it I by seventy percent. Like... Well, first of all, do you, do you honestly believe? Because you know, old sailors like us. Once you've been down that road half a dozen times, you begin to realize you're not being told the whole truth. Do you have any confidence no. in them to actually bring this off? No. Nope. No. The first thing I noticed that they were going to spend, what, $313 million on research? Yeah, there was... What uh, are they were going to research? Let's see. We, we know what we already want. We need tankers for our fleet <laughs> for a start. Well, I'll tell you a little story we, about we that. We could use a few. We we could use a new class of destroyers and DDHs. I think. Well, let me. Tell well, you, you need to spend three. Give give some firm three hundred and something million dollars to, to to come up with that answer. Well, believe me, it wouldn't take me that much money to come up with the answer. But let me tell you a little story about the tankers. And this is uh, I'm I'm taking the conservatives to task because, as I said earlier in the show, it's not only the liberals that don't keep their promises when it comes to defense. Uh, There's been no government since World War II that's done a good job of this. So I was uh, the day they canceled the joint support ships. uh, I remember this very clearly. I was still on the terrestrial radio station, and uh, Pierre Polliver was walking into the studio, into the lobby of the studio. He was coming in for a show called Lunch Bunch. And I had just finished filling yeah. in for Lowell. And as I walked downstairs, I caught him in my gun sights. And I walked over and I put <laughs> my finger in the middle of his chest and I said, where are my supply ships? And I jabbed him in yeah. his chest and he started walking backwards going, oh, we'll get him, we'll get him, we'll get him. I said, I got three words for you. Off the shelf. Go buy something <laughs> and then build something later. But right now we need these because without them, we're nothing but a backwater navy. And you should. Oh, that's true. Face. I mean, we need. Uh, well, let's face it, people. We need oil. We need water. Uh, fresh water. We we need food and and all, and all kinds of stuff and materials to keep the navy afloat and going. You know, that's, to do the job they send us to do. Listen, that's what tankers are for. I mean, they're, they they yeah. give you a deep water capability that no other ship can, and you can't always count on the no, al- exactly. allies because what if they're not around? 
Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that has not changed in oh god, hundred years or so. They you know, even yeah, even even right. even it. Yep. All right, listen. Still there? Yeah, I'm still here, but I'm going to let you go. I want to get to the to the next call. Uh, thanks for the call. I appreciate okay. it. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, buddy. Bye bye. All right, now let's go to this one. Good evening. Welcome to the Nick at Night Show. Who am I talking to? You've got Nick. Mike. Hi, Nick. Nick. Mike. Mike. <laughs> Hi, Mike. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm catching your uh, tongue-tied thing. Yeah, I know. Um, it happens to me once in a while. <laughs> That's what happens. It's contagious. All um, right. So what's I on your mind? I wanted to debate with uh, the Progressive Conservative Party, Brown. Of course, I saw and participated in this heavy debate that it wasn't much of a debate on Facebook there because the truth is it, it, the arguments were, were so weak and so repeated. It was, it was the intellectual or grown-up version of I know you are, but what am I? That, and then they would run and, and throw the same mud at somebody else and, and never really get back to the, the points that were being raised. And I, I saw a lot of people raising very interesting and very intelligent uh, points of contention and not, not once did they, anybody respond to it. It's just, you got to, you got to. And, and we can't afford four more years. And it, and it you know, sort of occurred to me that how many times have we tried that? Like, how many times have we been told, okay, we, we really can't afford to, to mess with it right now. We're just going to have to. We can't afford four more years. And then we get four more years. And then we get four more years. And then we get four more years. And so they're the ones helping us get this far with that, this kind of leadership and this kind of a liberal government. And, and then to, to literally, Brown has very successfully removed any pretense of conservatism. He has made very clear he is a progressive, which is completely the opposite. And I know we've said this many times, but I still don't think people truly understand the progressive movement. Um, you can take a course on it. Hillsdale College offers free online courses. They have a whole course just on the progressive movement alone. Um, it's all free. I think uh... I want to I read a quote from one of the founders of the progressive movement just to help underline and underscore what they were designed to do. This is from a man named Richard T. Ely. He was one of the founders of the progressive movement. All right. He says, earlier Americans were wrongly inclined to regard men as substantially equal, and to suppose that all could live under the same economic and political institutions. It now becomes plain that this is a theory that works disaster and is indeed cruel to those who are in the lower stages of development, resulting in their exploitation and degradation. Now, pause. That's, I'm going to pause this quote for a second because listen to what he just said there. It was the Democrats... And it was uh, John C. Calhoun, who was a student of Hegel, uh, who advanced the idea that black people were degenerated human beings, that they had devolved, not evolved, but devolved from human beings and were no longer really a human being. They were a, not really an animal, but they weren't humans either. Therefore, rights didn't apply to them, and, and slavery was doing them a kindness to take them into you know, to domesticating them like a dog so they're not wandering out in the wild and doing nothing. So this, this, is, this is the Democrats that fought for that, that fought to keep it. Yeah. Um, so, 
it's kind of interesting that suddenly now they're worried about exploiting people. But, you know, whatever. Cultural uh, appropriation, I, I think. I go back to the quote. Human yeah. beings are by nature unfree and unequal. It becomes the main task of government to make them equal. And then in another quote, he says, there is no limit to the right of the state, save its ability to do good. Well, okay, there's so much in that quote. Uh, Let's go back to the idea that, uh, you know, this false idea that we're all equal. Look, anybody who's listened to me at all knows I don't believe in start line equality. I believe that everybody has should have an equal opportunity at life. But to say that we're all equal, the only time a human being in our culture is equal is before Lady Justice. That's why she's blindfolded. Other than that, we are not equal. However, however, the idea that the government is supposed to try to make us equal and its only job, you know, its main job is to do that through whatever means necessary is absolute nonsense because life's not fair. It's just the way it is. He is basically, and, the, and again, the progressive movement was designed to counter or undo the American founding. So the American founding is the Declaration of Independence, their founding principles. All men are created equal right. and, and endowed with an un, un, unalienable natural rights from God. Mm-hmm. Now, the rights come from God's law. We're not allowed to murder each other. Thus, you have a right to keep living. Um, So the idea that we have the same rights is because the law applies to us. It's not like you get to kill some people like we do now and and other people you don't get to kill. Because, well, then where do you start drawing lines of who gets to be a slave, who gets to be a master, who gets to be killed, who gets to do the killing? Then everything becomes arbitrary. So the idea that all men are created equal means that the laws apply to us equally. And, and, and there's nowhere does it talk about getting uh, an egalitarian system, being equal in stuff. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes it very clear in the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. You don't have to worry about what your neighbor has or doesn't have, other than if somebody's in truly need, we're supposed to use our blessings to make sure they're okay. Right. But other and that's not with the state, that's a personal thing. Yes, and that's all that that's true. And that's this is why the power of the state was uh, so curtailed in the American um, you know, in the founding of of the United States and uh, and many it's in, it's a shining example to the rest of the world about how it should be done. The well, trouble is the contrast that, Sorry, I was going to say contrast that like uh, earlier in the week you had shared that uh, Madison passage. Yeah. on property. Mm-hmm. Now contrast that with Madison. Madison's one of the fathers of the Constitution. And, and listen to how he views government. Government is instituted to protect property of every sort, which he had already listed all the different kinds of property, everything from physical things to your, to your own ideas, your person, your, your own rights. So government is instituted to protect property of every sort, as well as that which lies in the various rights of individuals as that which the term particularly expresses. This being the end of government, that alone is a just government, which impartially secures to every man whatever is his own. What a difference. So you can see, like, this idea of progressive and conservative makes literally no sense. They are at complete odds, 
pulling apart from one another. And sooner or later, one has to break for the other. And I'll, I could, I mean, I could give you a whole history of the progressive movement. There, it's a nightmare of evil. Well, here's, here's what in I... Fabians and and Nazis and the whole bit. It's it's just terrible stuff. Well, what I will do is because uh, I'm going to let you go, but uh, I do think that your idea about Hillsdale College. Uh, taking that course is something I'm going to highly recommend. You know, the nice thing about this is why I don't want the government messing with with the internet, as because let's face it, it's got some really dark corners in it, but there's some really bright spots too. Uh, Bill Whittle has put out recently uh, a multi-part series on everything from economics to socialism to, and he just breaks it all down in his own unique style. There's uh, Hillsdale College is out there. You've got uh, Peter uh, Peter. Um, Jordanson, no, Jordan Peterson, that's it. I keep getting that name flipped in my head. Uh, he's got uh, all his classes are online, so you can get a chance to watch the way his mind works and how he explains things. He, I watched a, a thing about atheism tonight, uh, and he even talked about veganism and all these, you know, being a vegan, all these things. Those are some tremendous, assets, some tremendous uh, assets that people like us need to avail ourselves of so that we can at least recognize the foe when we see it. Because too many times we get when, caught up in the weeds and we miss the point. And the truth is, we're going to have to grow our leaders. You're saying, where are the new leaders going to come from? We've got to learn. We've got to spend time. This is stuff we should have learned in school 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, I'm actually doing, I can vouch for the, the Hillsdale courses. They're free. They're online. They've got, they provide the readings, Q&As. They got the, uh, you can do the lectures, whatever order you want. But I'm, I'm right now, after you had posted uh, some weeks back the, uh, from the, the, a bunch of clips from the economy course, right. I'm now actually doing the economy course because it runs through what free market, you know, in a, in a more detail. I already sort of have an overview of free market, but nice to go a little deeper and actually truly understand how to make the case to people yeah. so that when I'm talking to them and, and you get the same old tired arguments, I can... I can better deconstruct them and, and illustrate to people because the truth is so many young people and even just the average citizen today, they don't have the first clue. It's just like what you, the, your, the girl that you've got living there that uh, didn't know anything, the first thing, never heard the other side of the argument. Right. So we've got to take advantage of that and start talking to people and educating them. And the only way we're going to do that is if we start educating ourselves. Amen to that. Got to stop you there. Appreciate the call, Mike. All righty, there we go. See, phone calls are painless and they're fun. And they're also, you can find them at 343-700-4390 if you want to call and pick up on anything that Mike said or anything else that's uh, crossed your mind. Uh, we still have about uh, 15 minutes left in the show. So we'll take a quick little break here, and when we get back, we'll have more right after this. years ago, Irwin was renting space on the corner of Bank and Heron. His encyclopedic knowledge of all things mechanical and his no-bull honesty has resulted in his second move. He now operates a huge facility on Cleopatra, eight bays, and an expert staff that operate all in the same wavelength. Honesty, integrity, try to save the customers some money and headaches, 
but fix it right the first time. Irwin's out of motion. 34, Cleopatra. Tell him Council sent you. That'll make him smile. All right. Okay, final segment of the show, folks. Give me a call if you've got uh, anything on your mind. 343-700-4390 is the number. You can also make comments here on Facebook Live. I'm really enjoying the Facebook Live. I must admit, I wish I'd have done this a lot sooner. It's been a lot of fun to watch the in- the interaction and, and the uh, uh, people's reaction to the different things that we talk about. So um, I hope that you'll tell other people about it and help uh, promote and spread the show because uh, there's, I like to think, that there is a lot of um, a lot of value to it. I certainly do put a lot of effort into it, and it's stuff that comes from a perspective that you probably won't get from your local television or radio broadcaster. All right, now you know what? For years, there's been I've just gritted my teeth every time this woman's name was mentioned. But she did something this week that I think showed a fair amount of class. And it would be nice if her boss uh, had as much courage and internal fortitude and dignity as she does. Now I'm referring to Madeline Mayur. Now, I know I just knocked a whole bunch of people off their chairs. But you know something? She was picked. She, she was lobbying the government for either a Senate seat or an appointment, a patronage appointment. Well... And you can say, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, it is. But that's the way liberals do business. I'm not surprised she did that at all. Okay? I was disappointed, but not surprised. But as the, the opposition turned up the heat, and it's, there, there have been all kinds of commentators talk about this, about the different things. You know, this isn't transparent. This is nothing but patronage. And, you know, the, the prime minister should actually live up to his campaign promises and put an end to this kind of nonsense. And he was defending her or he was having his um, lady friend defend her in the House of Commons when asked he wouldn't answer any questions or just gave the most flippant, air, uh, airheaded answers possible because he was bored and he didn't want to take the time to actually think. Uh, about a reasonable answer, because there was none. But she decided that after all the furor, that she was going to pull her name as she was going to be the language commissioner. Okay, well, if you've ever heard Madeline Mayer speak, English is not her first language. At least she doesn't try very hard. And we've had a lot of complaints about her and her different policies over the years. And to put her in uh, into... Um, not Phil Graham. What the heck? Graham Fraser's shoes, who was no, who was an absolute disaster. The only time he ever cared about any kind of uh, language issue was when um, somehow there was somebody perceiving some slight against francophones. I remember one very clear uh, incident uh, that kind of summed this all up when he was all upset because uh, French recruits weren't given French manuals during basic training. And yet, when the same thing happened to English recruits, they weren't given English. He never said a word. There was a clear hypocrisy, double standard and hypocrisy built into uh, the way that he did his job. So at the very least, she demonstrated some dignity and said, you know what? If it's going to cause this much trouble, I am not going to do it. I'm going to pull my name from the list 
and I will not, I'm going to spare the house any more of this nonsense. Now, she didn't use those words, but that's, that's the effect. And you know something? For as much as I despise this woman's politics, I got to tell you, I got to respect that. I wish more, pap- more, um, more politicians could take a lesson from the way that Madeleine Mayor ha- handled herself in this and took herself out of the fray and said, look, it isn't worth it. I'm not going to do this. Because how many would have stuck to their guns and said, oh, no, oh, no, we're going to do that. Um, we're going to do that no matter what. Now, they're insisting, I'm reading from the just one few, few lines here from the article, the federal liberals insisted her selection was based on merit, experience, and a track record of, of defending Francophone rights. But she was heavily criticized after telling the Commons Officials Languages Committee in May she had contact before the nomination process with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's two closest advisors to express her interest in the job. In other words, she was out selling herself as she was looking for work. She was looking for a job. And if it's based on merit, that's not how you go about it. You go about it by, you know... Submitting your credentials and competing for the job with other people with similar credentials and then let the chips fall where they may. So at least in this case, in this one particular case, I'm going to salute Madeline Mayor. There's lots of stuff I've had issues with over the years with her. This isn't one of them. And I wish more politicians would have that as a mentality because, boy, I'll tell you, I am sick to death of watching people cling on too long to jobs that should have. This is, you know, this is the kind of thing that makes you really want um, term limits for no matter what job it is. Prime minister, town councillor, mayor, you know, two terms, gone. We need some fresh blood. But you get guys, like in my hometown in Killaloo, we've had the same mayor for 30 years. Now, her name is Janice. I like Janice. She's a nice lady. I have had multiple conversations with her. Sometimes at council table, sometimes on the street corner, sometimes over coffee in the diner. The joy of living in a small town is everyone knows who you are. The worst part about living in a small town is everybody knows where you are or who you are. In other words, there ain't no secrets in a small town. But one of the upsides is when you see the mayor walking down the street, you can walk over and say, hi, Janice, how's it going? They don't have bodyguards. They don't have chauffeurs. One of the benefits I love about living in the country. Having said that, in a larger town, of course, that's not practical because you've got millions of people and only one mayor and you know, blah, blah, yeah, I get that. But with term limits, you would she would never have been there for 30 years because let's face it, if you have the gavel in your hand for 30 years, and I'm only picking on her just as an example. She is by no means the only one. I think she's been there probably 20 years too long. I think it's time that, uh, you know, she should lay aside the mayor's chain and, and step aside and let somebody else have a crack at it. Will she? I don't know. She didn't the last time I expected her to, but she didn't. Now, think about Mayor Watson here in Ottawa. Think about out in Calgary or in any city or even in provincial. If we had term limits here in the province, we would not have had this nightmare for almost 14 years now. Because that government would have had to have gone. Or at least the leader would have been changed. 
And the whole crew of them would have only eight years. And they would have been, sayonara, bye-bye. We need new people. I think there's a lot of merit. The more I think about term limits, the more merit there is. Like you'd have to, look, If you're let, let's take Pierre Polliver as an example. He was 24 when he first got elected. All right, eight years. How old is he now? 32. So he takes four years off. Nothing stopping him from running again if you wanted to. It doesn't mean you could never come back into politics. It just means you're going to take a break and somebody else is going to get a crack at it. Because nobody has a corner on good ideas. And I really think that, that that's something we should explore sometime. Is how would term limits work in, in Ontario and in Canada at large? You're never going to, it's almost impossible to get a, a, a government to vote against its own interests. Um, especially when, on the federal level at least, I think it's, is it six years? I think it's six years. And they, um, and they, um, get their pension. Now, every year after that, I think they pad their pension, which is why some hang on forever. But is it up to you and I to make, to ensure a politician's life uh, is, is guaranteed comfortable for the rest of their lives after six, eight, or ten years in office? I don't think so. Why shouldn't they go back into the private sector? Like, if you're 40 years old, when you're done, you're 48, you're still employable. And if you are good at your job, you won't have trouble finding work. If you're good at working with people, if you're a good organizer, if you're a good you know, politician who actually cares about their work, and there are, they are out there, then finding a job won't be hard. Or at least it, it's not going to be impossible. So, I don't know. And if you're well into your 50s or 60s, you probably have some kind of pension plan already. And even if you don't, what difference does that make? All right, folks, that wraps it up for me tonight. It has been a pleasure as always. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you did too. We're going to do more with this Facebook Live thing. Well, next week we'll try and have the clips all set so that I can play you some of this stuff rather than just tell you about it. You can hear it for yourself. And in the meantime, I am going to wish you all a good night. Excuse me. <laughs> swallow first. Ubi keretas et amor. Deus ibi est. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything disturb your peace. And may you have a fair wind and a following sea. Of council communication. Eh, not that one. That one. Of all the money that e'er I had I spent it in good company and all the harm I've ever done Alas, it was to none but me And all I've done For want of wit To memory now I can't recall So And drink a health whate'er be 
Then gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be to you all. Of all the comrades that it I had, they're sorry for my going away. And all the sweethearts that e'er I had, they'd wish me one more day to stay. But since it fell into my lot that I should rise and you should not, I'll gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be to you all. Fill to me the parting glass and drink a health whate'er befalls. And gently rise and softly call.